Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. It's really good to see you all. Uh, good to see familiar faces and new faces. Um, it's actually been nearly a year since I was sent from the Central Service to the provinces. Uh, and I tell you, life is exciting and dangerous out there. So uh, I hope you're enjoying the security and safety and the coziness of being well secured at the Central Service. Just last week, I was sitting quietly, innocently, attentively listening to Joe's wonderful talk. And she was just kind of approaching the final moment the holy moment, wrapping up the whole talk, and then suddenly my chair disappeared beneath me. Bow! And I was on the floor. So fortunately, I was unharmed, but I was quite surprised by the experience, to be honest. And afterwards, the congregation, of course, felt like they needed to be really pastoral, so they all took very good care of me. And they tried to give different theories about this incident. So I had three basic theories offered to me. So number one was, something was wrong with the chair. Theory number two, it was the weight of the presence of God on me. Why are you laughing? Theory number three, I need to keep an eye on my weight. That one no one said directly, but I could read it in the eyes on, on a few selected people, particularly my wife. So, which one do you believe in? Show of hands, how many believe in theory number one? Something was wrong with the chair, All right? We have cameras on, we are documenting this, just so you know. Theory, um, theory number two, it was the presence laying heavily on me from God. How many believe, oh, I love you people. Uh, number three, how many believe that I do need to keep it out of my way? Of course, Barry, I knew you would be there. So, different theories, which one is right? Well, of course, I prefer theory number two. So, we're going to read a passage today about Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he was in a similar situation, actually. No chairs were involved, as far as I know, but he needed to make a choice of what he believed in. He had different alternatives, and he needed to make a choice. So, let's read from uh, John chapter 20 and verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. Now, the official title for this talk is Believing in the Risen King, and it's part of our spring series on the Risen King, uh, and the theme is doubt uh, for this morning. But the unofficial title is Lean In. Don't tell anyone, but I changed the title slightly. And um, what we will be looking at is how we are dealing with this situation of being in situations where there are different perspectives to choose between, different narratives, different ways of seeing ourselves and life and God. What do we do when we are in doubt? And it's a, a really big theme, uh, so I'm going to focus particularly on doubt in relationships. So I actually called my brother, uh, who is a couples therapist, and I said, so what do you think about doubt? from your perspective as a couples therapist. And he said that in couple therapy, they talk about how one part tend to lean out of the relationship, whilst the other try to lean in. The one leaning out, of course, being the one in doubt about the relationship. And of course, we can easily apply this to all kinds of relationships, all family relationships, friendships, and uh, work colleagues, and so on and so forth. It goes for all relationships. And if you think about it, there is a lot of leaning in and leaning out going on if we think through the different arenas of our lives. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. Now, of course, traditionally what comes to mind when we talk about doubt in a Christian context would be very different themes. It would be themes like creation versus supernatural existence, it would be things like the authenticity and therefore the authority of the Bible versus critical theory. It would be natural order versus supernatural existence and all of these kinds of things. And added to some of those things, some of us, I think, would think about, so what about this whole very frail story of the institutional Christian church? It doesn't look well, does it? And some might be talking about, so what about all these super Christian leaders out there where we hear stories about them leaning out in a very bad way? And all of these are, of course, hugely important issue. And some of us may feel the need to kind of deal with those issues before we are able to move on. We may say, I am blocked up here before I can move down here to the heart level. And if that is the case, well, that is a very valid situation. And then we need to deal with that situation. What we need to do is to talk and to find someone to talk to who actually knows what they are talking about and to avoid echo chambers, people repeating our own opinions all along, but finding someone who can push back in a good way. Now, where does doubt really come from? How did it start? What is it, its origin? Well, what we do know is that it was kind of at the heart of the temptation that we read about early on in the Bible. Satan, in the form of a snake, said to Eve, Did God really say? Question mark. I offer you a different theory. Did he or didn't he? Now there was something to choose between for Eve. And the snake said, surely, if you eat the fruit, you shall not die. And interpreting this whole conversation, what basically uh, was said to Eve was, surely God didn't mean that. 
Surely you shall not be separated from God if you eat of that fruit to be God in your own lives. Surely. That's really the sound of doubt in its most essential form. It's what it tastes like, it's what it feels like when it has planted its roots in our hearts. When everything is said and done, no matter how satisfying intellectual answers we get, it's never going to be the arguments that are going to win the battle when we are in the battle of doubt. Probably this was at least partially the point Jesus was making in the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. So both the rich man and the Lazarus died in this story. And then after his death, the rich man suffering from being separated from God pleads Father Abraham to let the poor Lazarus be resurrected from the dead to convince his family to repent and start to believing and seeking God. But in the narrative of this parable, Abraham replies, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that surprising? Can this really be true? I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I have kind of thought, probably prayed once in a while, God, couldn't you throw in a few very visible miracles? That would make life much easier in terms of convincing people about who you are and that you really exist. And maybe some of us have even kind of quietly or aloud said, God, if you just do that, then I will believe this. It's not untypical for us to think like this. In my experience, not surprisingly, it is exactly as Jesus says. Some of you know that uh, a while back, actually 20 years ago, I was part of a what you call a local revival in the church uh, at Copenhagen where I was serving at the time. And over a period of two years, we had 50,000 people coming through our doors. And many of those people got healed. And it was an amazing time, an amazing experience. And we saw wonders from heaven just in front of our eyes. And it was such a thing to behold. But there were also some really big surprises in the whole thing. I was like, surely now the whole world must believe when they see these things happening. I remember one story with a lady who came in to the congregation in a wheelchair. She was in the very late stage of multiple sclerosis. She got prayed for and she stood up and she walked out on her own two legs. And a couple of days after, she was playing football with, with uh, her kids in the garden. Now, she didn't tell us that. It was one of her friends who came back. The lady who got healed never came back. She didn't find faith. She was just healed. And it's not just one story. We had a number of those stories. And we were amazed. How can this be? Then we had other people who came to get healed. They were not there to find faith. They didn't get healed, but they found faith. So, you know, it's not always easy. Paraphrased, uh, the famous Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal said that God always does miracles in a way so that he who wants to believe can and he who doesn't want to believe 
don't have to. I found that very interesting when I read this. In other words, God acts in a way that leaves room for human decision. So, talking about faith, we actually do need to return to this couple's therapist. Why? Because while there are valid intellectual conversations to be had, and they are really important, at the bottom of doubt, we find that essentially it's not about signs and wonders or convincing arguments. It's all about a personal relationship. That is at the bottom of it. The Swedish journalist, writer, and retreat leader Magnus Malm has expressed it like this. He said, everyone carries within them both a longing after God and a resistance towards God. The difference between a Christian and one who is not is that the Christian has given in to their longing. I found that hugely interesting when he said that. In other words, all of us as human beings, we have the potential to both lean in and to lean out of our relationship with God as well as our other relationships. Now, the temptation to lean out of a relationship with others and with God is often driven by, uh, by a perceived sense of restraint in the relationships, a sense of disability to really truly be myself. And this is a narrative that we can nurture and we can give it undue authority, both the thoughts and the emotions connected to it. I remember my old therapy tutor, she repeatedly said to us, it was actually the thing she said the most. She said, thoughts and emotions are not facts. You should respect them, you should acknowledge them, but you should not let them control your life. You have a choice, she said. You can choose to lean into a relationship. It's a bit like being on a seesaw. So uh, you will see the image come up there. I, I was really, uh, you know, uh, we have a very different word for this in, in Denmark, where I'm from. Uh, so I was really surprised by this word. What is the logic in this world? A seesaw. What, what are you doing when you're going to the playground? Do you say, I'm going seesawing? Or is there even a word for, word for this? Or is it just a thing? I was wondering. It's really a strange one. So if, if anyone knows the story behind this, I'm really curious to know what is this. Anyways, it was one of my favorite things at the playground as a child. So I would go to the playground and I would go directly to the seesaw. And then I would stand in the middle of it and kind of find perfect balance on the seesaw. And toying with, am I going to the one side or am I leaning to the other side? That is actually quite uh, an image of what doubt really is. The very word doubt actually means in its root form two. And Oskinus, who has written a really good book about doubt, it's called God in the Dark, he puts it like this. He says, to doubt is to waver between the two, to believe and disbelieve at once, so kind of to be in the middle of the seesaw, to be in two minds. He says that's what it's like. Richard Raw, a Catholic priest and writer, in his book, The Naked Now, talks about how we move between surrendering to Jesus. He says, we are encountering Jesus. And when we encounter him, 
we become single-minded because then we surrender fully to him because it makes no sense not to do that. But he says, then we are confronted with everyday life. We are confronted with everything that the culture tries to communicate to, to us in a million different ways. And then we are pushed back into the middle of the seesaw and need to make up our minds again whether we want to surrender again and become one-minded in our relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I have found when I have these encounters with Jesus, different kinds of encounters, this sense of His presence, this sense of the reality of Him relating directly to me, then my typical response is to fully surrender to Him and to say, Jesus, you are amazing. And if you ask me in that moment, Lars, will you ever waver from this decision? Or does this go for the rest of your life? I would look you straight into the eyes and I would say, this counts for the rest of my life. And I would mean every word by it. The thing is, I've had quite a number of those experiences. And I'm thanking God for all of them. But I have found when I encounter life, the different things meeting me, then suddenly I find myself moving back towards the middle of the seesaw again. Probably this is why Jesus says to the people following him, he says, if you want to be my follower, you need to make the choice to surrender to me on a daily basis. Now Thomas, he had seen Jesus, he had heard Jesus, he had touched Jesus, and yet at this point he didn't really believe. So he was on the seesaw, and basically he had two things he could lean into. On the one side, he had the memories of Jesus. And those were amazing memories. Just think about it. Everything that he had witnessed. He had seen all of these people being ministered to so dramatically. So many people getting healed. So many people being encouraged. Just think about the party around Jesus when all of these things happened, how amazing that would have been. He had been sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus doing talks, one talk after the other. Think about how amazing that would have been. Jesus talking about the Old Testament prophets, the stories and all of that, making all things connect, seeing the whole thing in perfect view, in perfect perspective making all the piece come, pieces come together. How amazing that would have been. That was on the one side of the seesaw. On top of that was also, now his friends had come to him and said, we have seen him. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's not dead. All of that on the one side of the seesaw. But then on the other, he had his image of Jesus dying on the cross. To him, that was the last impression of the reality of Jesus. He's no longer alive. Everything that is connected to him, everything that I thought, it's dead right there on that cross. There's nothing left. The dream has burst. There's nothing left of that dream. And Thomas was one who was willing to die for this dream, we know that. He was kind of a very skeptical prophet. And at one point, he, he said to the rest of them, well, if we follow him to Jerusalem, we are all going to die, but let's go anyways. 
So he was that kind of guy. He really believed. He was a skeptic, but he believed in the dream. And he was ready to die for it. But now the dream was over. Extremely traumatic. That was on the other side of the seesaw. So here you go. A person who was standing there who had two ways that he could lean. He had a choice to make. And he chose wrong. So what shall we make of Thomas? Well, what I make of him is that he seems to be quite like me. And as far as I know us human beings, it seems like he's quite like us. Particularly in what I would call microcosmos. So quite many of us in the macrocosmos, the big things, we would always give the correct answers and we would believe in them. Yes, God exists. Yes, Jesus exists. Yes, I believe in the Bible. Yes, yes, yes. But in the microcosmos, in the small everyday experiences and occurrences of life and things are happening, big and small, sometimes this seesaw starts to go like this. That's Thomas (laughs) at work in us. Now, Jesus actually rebukes him. Why? Because Thomas could have chosen otherwise. We can easily understand Thomas, but we actually go wrong if we try to excuse him. Jesus meets him just like he will meet with anyone who wants to meet with him. Jesus ministers to him just like he will minister to anyone who wants to be ministered by Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him and says, stop doubting and believe. And maybe this is what Jesus says to us today. It's time to stop meddling in the middle of the seesaw. It's enough of that. It's time to lean in. It's time to believe. Let's go back to the couples therapist one more time. We can all find help for him because we are in all different kinds of relationship. What does the Bible say about God in the relationship to us? Well, basically the Bible says he is leaning in. In Romans chapter 8, it's put like this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, which means that we are all included in this. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God the Father is in. He is leaning in to the relationship with us. What about Jesus the Son? Well, one of the last things he said to his disciples before he left to go to the heavens was that he said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus the Son is leaning in. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, a lot could be said. But the Bible calls him our counselor. And if you dive into the word, it means that someone who comes to our side to encourage us in the good fight of faith. That's the Holy Spirit. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all leaning in. Paul kind of sums it all up very 
eloquently in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. There's no but in this sentence. It's unnegotiable. It's unconditional. So even if I refuse God's love, He still loves me. Even when I don't lean in, He is still leaning in. Even when I am double-minded, He keeps being single-minded in His relationship with me. It's the bottom line of the parable of the prodigal son. The father waits and he's looking out. And at the least sign of the child leaning in, he comes running and he throws a party. So the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is leaning in. Now, we may be shaken by the traumas of our time. No wonder if we are. I am. We probably should be a bit shaken. It would be strange if we were not. We may be shaken by these role models leaning the wrong way. And there are too many of those stories. We may be shaken by our personal traumas. Meta and I are living through one of those at the moment. Just four weeks ago, the phone rang and we were told that Meta's dad had just passed away. He hadn't warned us about it. <laughs> he hadn't kind of written a letter saying, this is going to happen. The doctors hadn't warned us about it. It just happened out of the blue like that. And interestingly, in the wake of traumas like that, immediately the existential thoughts come running your way and they kind of push you into the middle of the seesaw until you find your bearings again. We all have different versions of that. We all have different kinds of life traumas. Some of them are in the past. Some of them are very present to us. And they do affect us. They do shake us. And it's natural that it is like that. As a central service, you, we have been going through a tough time. COVID hasn't been easy, has it? And sometimes we, we just muddle through, we go through, we keep in faith, but it's tough. And for some, it can even feel traumatic. You, you have been doing the opposite of many other people have been doing, fleeing from the city. You have chosen to remain in the city, and I salute you for it. But it's tough to go through times like that. To stay on the right side of the seesaw and avoid <laughs> crawling into the middle of it. There are quite a number of things that can shake us. And no wonder if they do. And I'm not going to argue with any of it and try to belittle any of it. But what I will do personally is that I'm happy to stand in the middle of the seesaw with any of you. And I will encourage you. 
And I believe God calls us to encourage one another in our friendships, in our connect groups, in our services, across our different services at a time like this, how wonderful and beautiful it is to be more than one service. We are connected to one another where we grieve with one another and we celebrate with one another. So we will encourage one another across the services and even beyond in the wider body of churches we will encourage through our different ministries we will stand there at this time in history and we will say to one another let's lean in let's lean in and at times perhaps we will say leaning is not enough it's time for us to leap Let's jump into the arms of the one who has made the choice of unconditionally, eternally to lean towards us. Look at how Jesus does it when he's ministering to Thomas. Basically, he says, Thomas, come close. Now, why does Jesus say this? Well, probably because he knew the structure of doubt. Doubt creates distance, and distance produces doubt. That's the vicious circle of doubt. Jesus knew that. So he knew that Thomas needed to come closer to him in order to stop doubting and leaning in again. See my hand and touch my side, he said. Which means that the risen Messiah, the risen King, is not really a theoretical concept to be discussed. But he is a really real living physical reality to be encountered more than anything. And now touching Jesus, Thomas is reminded of past experiences. He had been touching Jesus before. They had been journeying with one another for about three years. And when he was touching Jesus, he was reminded of all of that that he had been going through, that he had been experiencing with him. I suppose there's a band here today, right? Could I have the band come up, please? And they will kind of distract you while I'm doing something which is really, really uncool. I will show you a picture of my granddaughter. Isn't she just lovely? So I had a um, wonderful with experience with her a couple of weeks ago. So my wife and I, we were looking after her. Or in reality, my wife was looking after her and I was just having fun. So, so, and, and she was sitting on my lap and doing all sorts of things. She's a year and a half, so she was kind of all over the place. But suddenly she stopped doing her things. And she turned her face towards my face. And her, with her little nose, she touched my chin. And then she started exploring my face with her chin. And I hardly breathed. And I didn't dare move a muscle because it was such an amazing moment. It felt like a holy moment. And then I was reminded of what Jesus said. That if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to become like these little children. I think that is what he's basically inviting us into, this borderless proximity to him. That is what he wants to draw us into. No distance between him and me, no more being placed in the middle of the seesaw, but being totally out there with him, knowing 
exactly where I am leaning. So how do we come closer to Jesus today? How can we hear and respond to his invitation? Honestly, I think it happens in different ways. There are different ways of doing it. We have different kinds of love languages as people. We have different stories and different ways would be appropriate according to where we are in life right now. But there seems to be a principle that really works for all of us. And if you will allow me, I will draw a final parallel from the couples therapist. So I have actually meddled with that myself, been in the role of a couples therapist on a number of occasions. And even though the couples were extremely different, their stories were really different, there was one thing that seemed to work every time. And that was when I asked them to talk about, so what was it you saw in the other one when you first met? What kind of experiences did you have in the first time of your relationship? And you can feel the atmosphere change in the room. And from leaning away from one another, actually without exception, they started to lean towards one another. And they started to become thankful for the other, thankful for what they had experienced with the other. Basically, that's a principle we see throughout the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, that they are sometimes leaning out of the relationship. These people writing the Psalms, being anxious about a whole lot of things and wondering about God, but then they start to thank Him and they are leaning in again. I think this is what Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation when He writes to the church in Ephesus and says, remember your first love. Remember. Reconnect with that first love. This is what I heard myself and others saying just this past week when I was sitting in my steps group uh, with a group of other guys uh, dealing with our unhelpful uh, behaviors. And we were talking about replacement strategies. And our stories are different and our issues are different. But several of us had come up with the same answer. Thanksgiving needs to play a much bigger part in our lives. It has to be a part of our daily rhythm. We simply have to find a way to get that in there. So, find a way that works for you in terms of practicing Thanksgiving. And keep at it. It reduces the distance to God when we connect with Him and with His presence in our story and give Him thanks for it. And I think we are in a time where we actually need to do this enough to the point where we have no more words. Because what happens when we give him thanks in that way, when we have no more words, that's actually when we go into a different phase of thanksgiving. Where we are just watching him, we're just looking at him, we are beholding him, we are contemplating him. And he's looking at us. I believe that was the experience I had with my granddaughter. And we can have that experience with God. And I think, we be, I think we need that kind of experiences. We need to have that as part of our lives, to live well in the time that we are in right now. There's so much in our culture drawing us out of relationships, all kinds of relationships. We need something dramatically different to lean in and to keep leaning in. My sense is, as I'm standing here in this room today, 
that there are different things at play um, and different things that God wants to do. So one is a strong invitation. And for some of us, it's actually to go back to the first love. That's the way of leading in for us today. And if you sense that, as I was talking about that, please go back to that place and just thank God for it. It's enough for you to thank God for it, then he will do the rest. I sense is also that there are some uh, other relationships at play and where you have hardly heard a word of what I've said about God, but it's, it's a relationship you have in your life that you see everything in that light. And my sense is that there are two things in that. One is a healing. I kind of keep sensing a healing of relationship. Something going on in the room right now that actually has the potential to heal a relationship. I don't know whether it's a couple who is in the room or... But that's the deep sense I have. The other is a an encouragement for God to dare to lean in again, even though you were frustrated early on. That it's time for you to lean in again. So Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that you are at work amongst us in the way that only you can. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will keep working in our hearts. Thank you that you are leaning in, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if anyone were in doubt in this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal to them in this very moment the state of things. That the Father didn't spare his own son, but he was willing to let him die for the sake of us all. Holy Spirit, thank you for the healing of relationships that you are doing in this very moment. I pray for courage for the people that you're speaking to, to act on what you're saying to them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and let's worship him.